Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Gobbled of Wine, a drunken <laughs> Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie and we're 220 somethings rereading our favourite childhood book. This time with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode we are reading chapters 4 and 5 of, of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. <laughs> so grab, what was it, Gobble? Gobble. Gobble of wine. And I can't remember. Join us. Join us on this drunken, reminiscent journey. We've had one beer. She's I had, had two. two. I cut there to cut you off. Rude! I can do what I want! I just headbutted the mic. I hope the new mic's like that. Yeah. For context, Spotify started doing a thing where it like transcribes the episodes. Which is great. I'm so glad that's built into Spotify, but it's auto transcribe. (laughs) And I was looking at it on a recent episode and it said Google of wine and we're 220 something. It actually said gobbled like a gooster, like gobble, gobble, gobble. And I just love the 220 somethings because it can either mean that we are in our 220s, we're that old. I feel Or we are... 220 individual things i feel that too yes hi hi how are you i'm sick it's not covid i've done a test like a responsible adult yeah no i'm i'm sick my bastard family gave me a cold so i might sound a bit croaky and i keep losing my train of thought so you know same old for me uh how are you i'm good i'm dodging the seasonal colds like a fucking ninja I'm um, truly in the era of the Christmas rom-com where I haven't felt a single spark of the internal festive joy yet. No, no, I felt joy. I haven't felt that, you know, that Christmassy You're like, I've never felt joy. But what I have felt is a lot of festive stress. A lot of festive stress. But you're listening to this on like January 1st, so it doesn't matter. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I think you are anyway. I can't remember when you're listening to this. I'm pretty sure it's like January 1st. It is. Good. Um, so you don't care about festive stress. You care about going back to work in a day or two. Sorry. Sorry. We, d- we have to go back to work too. Yeah. Rocking around the Christmas tree. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Um, cool. It's been a week. Had two different Christmas work party things. Yeah. My managing director made me do two double tequila shots at one of them. No, do you know what? I've learned something. And this is an important lesson for us as people that drink a lot of alcohol on this podcast. If do you we? buy very expensive spirits, 
they don't burn or give you a hangover. Then what's the point? They make you drunk without the burning and the hangover. Yes, Should we ha- do that? Let's do Hannah, my love. What I've, are we moved, I've moved drinks further up. And what are we drinking? Um, that's a great question. So this recommendation comes from aha, Helena. Helena requested this alcohol in May Sorry. of 2023, but. It's a specific Austrian drink and I had some trouble getting hold of it and, and then kept putting it off because I'm a procrastinator. And then I finally managed to get hold of it. So this is an Austrian soft drink called Al- Almdudler. Almdudler? Almdudler. Which is made with, drumroll please, alpine grass. herbs. Grass. Grass. You've given us another grass drink. You can have it on its own, but it's also sometimes mixed with beer or wine. If you mix it with beer, it's a drink called Radler or Alm Radler. Now, Radler is similar to Rattler, which I've had in other countries, which is beer mixed with like lemonade. And that's really nice. If you mix it with red or white wine, the drink is called Liftler, Tuola or Kaisumi, which translates to Emperor's Mixture. I did not pronounce any of those correctly. If you pick... You can pick whichever beer or wine you want and choose between the three options unless you want to try all of them. The ratio depends on how strong or sweet you want it to be. When in doubt, start with 50-50. She then told me where to get hold of it. Um, So thank you so much, Helena. Yeah, so this is a tradition Austrian drink, which is a country I don't think I've done before. So we're starting, are we starting off with it out the can? Yes, we are slightly fucked up that our food is one minute away. So really quick drink testing and then we'll drink it whilst we eat and then drink, we have more. So, okay, you try that first. Oh, weird. It's weird. That doesn't taste like anything I've tasted before. It's kind of sweet, but a bit grassy, but not in a grassy way that I hate. Yeah, it's kind of like sweet, lemony, weird. Anyway, let's try with beer. Radler. Looks like butterbeer in these glasses. Weird. Not sure I like that. I like it. It kind of, because that drink is kind of sweet, does taste a bit like a Rattler that I've had before. Uh, What I did want to say about this drink as well is, look at the packaging. It's so nice. It's so cute. It makes me want to get some just to like display. Let's do some other top of episode things. Let's do some Patreon. First off, we're starting with a correction for Mikal. Uh, Mikal sent us the pomegranate wine in one of the final episodes of season six. And I pronounced their name very wrong. So thank you, Mikal. A ruthless size thank you to Ruthie. A Catherine Wheel size thank you to Kate. An Elzebar size thank you to Elspeth. I really don't know how to say that. Do tell me if I'm wrong. A ricotta size thank you to Rebecca. A sausage sandwich size thank you to Senna. And an eeny meeny mo size thank you to Elizabeth. Thank you all so much for joining the Patreon and supporting us in the various Patreon ways. We also have some responses to a Q&A. We probably should have done this one in like the first episode of this season, but oh well. We asked, please share any thoughts on book six. So Jordan said, fabtastic is 100% something that Lockhart would say. Yes, you are good. Yes, yes, yes. Fabtastic. I want to start using it. Fabtastic. Um, And Eleven says, you wouldn't need to read a version where Voldemort becomes Minister for Magic and presents Muggleborns as the aggressors because, like, it's happening right now in the real world. Been there, done that, you know? Good point. You are not wrong. You are not, sadly. Hey, maybe, maybe, maybe by the time we finish this podcast, we won't have a Tory government. Should Should we get into the episode? Yes. Yes. Chapter four. 
It's called something. It's called The Seven Potters. It's called The Seven Potters. I like that the book matches your jumper. Right? I noticed that as I was leaving the house and I was so impressed. It Very also cute. matches my outfit I've got for the Christmas episode we're recording next, which Amazing. doesn't matter because this book won't be on show, but oh well. Chapter four. I was about to say, chapter seven, The Seven Potters. Uh, Harry's having reminisce, aka talking to an owl. And I first went to make this note and be like, why is Harry talking to an owl? Blah, blah, blah. But then I was like... <laughs> It is silly that he's talking to now. Who does that, Todd? And then I was like, I question: do, do you only talk to Todd about Todd-based things, or do you talk to Todd about everything? Everything, everything. So yeah. if like an email comes in from work and you're not sure how to respond, Todd helps you craft the response. Not work things because he's not very good at that. He's mm. like way too passive aggressive. Sure, right. But like other things like if i drop something i'll be like oh like mummy's so clumsy isn't she todd and he's like i hate Shut women up, bitch stop yeah talking to me yeah pretty That's much exactly what hedwig's doing inside her own head like <laughs> yeah. you're a fucking idiot yeah right. i hate you yeah yeah i can't wait to die there's some nice symbolism in the Dursley's car driving away. Its windows burn scarlet for a moment in the now setting sun. We've got the setting sun of the setting sun of an Ugh. era. We've got the burning scarlet of the bravery, symbolizing the bravery of what Harry's doing and la 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 la. We've got symbolism in this book. It's a grown-up book, When did you kids. become an English lit teacher? I've always been one. I also pointed out that when he describes the hall full of shadows, it's the shadows of his past. Oh, for God's sake. It's who I am now. He also describes when he's, you know, doing his little walkthrough and going to Hedwig. I used to sleep here. It says it gave him an odd, empty feeling to remember those times. It was like remembering a younger brother who we had lost. And I think that, like, this is true of, like, the last time you walk around a home you're going to move out of or anything like that. Even if you haven't had, you know, Harry's traumatic childhood. Whenever you look back at, like, old things, it gives it, nostalgia in general gives you that feeling of like both happiness and sadness at the yeah. same time. Did you know, I was at a book event recently and an author was speaking who was writing a book on nostalgia, uh, a doctor, and she said that in the Victorian times when the word nostalgia was first invented, it was like a serious malady. It was like a medical thing that would keep you in bed for weeks. And it's like the same thing that we call nostalgia now, but it used to be taken like very seriously as like a very negative mm. thing. But now because of capitalism, ev almost every ad, almost everything we're sold draws on nostalgia to be able to sell us shit. Yeah, I, I, I was about to be like, oh, I love how, you know, back in the day, just anything would get you like, you know, oh, she's insane. But then I'm like, no, 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 that that was just like intense sexism. And we had the whole lobotomy thing, which wasn't great. So no, no, bad. But also, I would be so locked up. Yeah. Or like burnt for witchcraft. Probably ah. burnt for witchcraft. Yeah, I don't know. What I can't speak of, she didn't mention, is how much of it was women versus men who got, you know, medically diagnosed with nostalgia. But I never knew it was like a medical issue. Yeah. You know, it probably was women. And it was probably women saying to their husbands... I miss at the start of our relationship when you would actually do things for me and try and woo me. And him going, crazy woman. Crazy woman, call the doctor in so I can legitimize sleeping with my mistress. Yeah, like, oh my God, this feels similar. Did you know? This you know, feels similar. Goes on the longest, most irrelevant tangent ever. Yes. Did you know, you know the whole love languages thing? Yeah, hate it, despise it. That was invented by the Mormon church. 
good i hate it even more now to justify to help men be like i know i'm just really horny and just want to fuck you constantly and not actually you know do anything for you but it's just that my love language is touch this justifies all my years of resentment and anger towards love languages and my refusal to ever partake in a discussion about them see that was kind of semi-relevant thank you to what you said thank you i'm going to continue to eschew any conversations i'm brought into about them cool harry while doing his reminiscing talks about a dream he had where with a flying motorbike and then literally two sentences later we get hagrid arriving on the flying motorbike which is a very cute quite obvious but still cute full circle moment but i also feel it like brings up this whole thing of at that time harry desperately wanted to be like saved rescued by someone and this is almost the last scene where harry kind of accepts outside help you know after this he's completely on his own so kind of a nice little aside from hermione (laughs) aside from hermione doing literally everything for him literally everything so everyone arrives we've literally got the whole cast anyone you've ever known is here apart from Ginny, who's too young i'm literally not going to list them all but we've got most of the weasleys and a load of other people and they're all arriving and laughing and you know we get this very weird paragraph where everyone is given we get this very weird paragraph where everyone is given a two-word description every single person in the room so it's like wrong long and lanky fred and george grinning identically bill scarred and long-haired like literally every character gets this two sentence treatment and i'm like you don't need to do any of the recapping thing anymore you're not picking up harry potter book seven like you're just not yeah i I think the motorbike thing also feels a bit like that it's like when you watch a tv show and it's like happened last time and it's like you're on season seven and it's a clip from season one and it's like it's going don't forget this happened because it's gonna happen again again. it's gonna be important i mean sometimes i need that i've got a bit resentful of some shows that don't do what i needed okay no spoilers from you but when we were watching the first of the three doctor who specials what i really needed was some recaps of the doctor who and donna era because some of the stuff i was like you are expecting me to remember something from 15 years ago it did do a bit of a recap a bit but what i needed at the beginning was like a full like (laughs) but you're a fake fan you should have just done a rewatch like everyone else did this year one of the descriptors i wanted to pull out was hermione is not described as like bushy and buck tooth she's described as her bushy hair tied back in a long plait and we get very few instances of harry noticing hermione doing changes to her appearance in any way so i found i've always from a young age found that like a weird thing that was pulled out in the description because literally like Hermione is treated as a girl who doesn't care about her appearance. She's too important for it. But this might be just Harry's bias of not noticing a fucking thing about her. What happens to, like, the scrunchie when she polyjuices? Because, like, the clothes, you stay wearing the clothes. Mm. They're obviously just going to be a bit... It falls on the floor, I imagine. Like that, or, like, I like to think it's just like a little tiny rat tail. (laughs) No, like a Bam Bam thing up here. (laughs) It, like, shoots all the way up her head. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cute. I hope she, like, kept her scrunchie. Yeah, you don't want to lose your scrunchie. But then she can't be like, oh, I'm Harry. No, I'm not. I've got a scrunchie on my wrist. I don't think any Death Eaters are like, oh my god, it's not the real one because they've got a hairband on their wrist. That would be such a good way of, That would be such a good tell. Throwing them off. Yeah. Yeah, put a bracelet and rings on Harry. 
They'll be like, well, it's not that one. Uh, but yeah, I found it interesting that this superficial feature is pulled out. But then we get superficial features of everyone, which also, I'm not, I don't have enough intelligent thoughts to want to get into it. But all the others are like the glasses, the hair, and then Kingsley is bald, black, broad shouldered. Yeah. What annoys me, okay, I'm going to get into it slightly. What annoys <laughs> me a little bit about it is in the UK versions of these books, for the first three books, no character's race was described and mm. that was a change that the u.s editions did so in the u.s edition in the first book dean thomas and angelina are both described as black whereas in the uk editions they're not not a single character's race is described and like there are arguments for both sides of doing it either way round, and that is both arguments are very valid but clearly those changes being made in the u.s editions has now like made their way into this original uk edition with yeah. this with the character's race being mentioned not to say either way is wrong it's just an editorial choice that is interesting yes that's what i'm gonna say so they're all catching up la 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 tonks announces that her and lupin got married hate it hate it thank you and they're like sorry you couldn't be there i'm like literally been like two weeks no it hasn't it's been two months but whatever and they basically explain the plan and why the plan has changed there's a lot of discussions of the plan and why they're all there essentially they they've leaked information to the death eaters and we already kind of know some of this because of the first chapter they've leaked information to the death eaters that harry is being moved on his birthday that is fake he's obviously being moved tonight but as a second layer of protection which they have not announced outside of anyone in the group is that they are polyducing seven members to look like harry and why not just polyjuice harry into a random ginger person not one of the weasleys the same way for the wedding he's polyjuiced into cousin barney yeah just do that okay so yeah because this is the common one that like everyone brings up i actually think this is defendable in that there's no way for them to guarantee that Voldemort doesn't have eyes on the house where he could be like, these people entered and these people left. Right, um, okay. However, what I don't think is defendable is, okay, so like they can't use like the flu network or like anything like that because restrictions are being placed on the house. Yep, makes sense. Quick dash, pop over to the neighbours, knock, knock, hello, S some spell, whatever, you know, wipe <laughs> their memories. Just going to use your fireplace doo -doo -doo, or like set up a porky there, you know, just just go next door. Ah, but because that's a muggle house, uh, the ministry would immediately get an alert. But could they not do a like porky? No, porkies get alerts as well. No, but hold on, all the safe houses have porkies. Exactly. But the, all the safe houses are wizard houses. I think if a porky is using a muggle house, it gives us some sort of alert. Pop down to what's her faces? She's not on the register, we find out during book five. All of these... Okay, the thing is, I have always kind of hated the argument I've just given of this plan is stupid. This plan isn't entirely stupid. Like, this plan is not one of Harry Potter, like, utterly stupid plans. There's just... The yeah. transfiguration thing, splitting into seven, I get. But rather than having seven people become harry yeah just have harry become a random ginger because like realistically the death eaters maybe don't know each individual weasley do they can you press a button he's gonna mute you <laughs> it's like i hate this bitch mute yeah 
Yeah. Sorry, we're just very distracted by Todd climbing over the desk. Also, the final plan is to go out to seven safe houses, then all port key to the borough. I know that you all want to be in the borough because it's like the central location, but then they're like, you'll never know which house you end up at. Right. I think it's the first one on the list of guesses. Like, it's so dumb. Because also they're like, Voldemort wouldn't know. I'm like, Snape would. Snape would know the number one house choice would be the borough. And it doesn't matter if you've gone to a safe house first, you're still ending up at the borough. Yeah, I have a similar note about this kind of thing later on. For now, Todd's just... Mm be naughty he's walked over the desk he's used his scratching post he's now investigating the inside of a cabinet i also noticed earlier when we were recording that one of my begonias is missing a leaf that was definitely there earlier so that would have been todd todd also has curry on his chest because he tried to eat my curry and he he was being to be fair he's been in a fucking foul mood today like i don't know what's upset him but he's not having it and he doesn't like Hannah anyway. And yet she would not let him eat her bread and curry. And he was not happy about it. He kept really jumping like, you bitch. Which is so funny because like, I very rarely give him any of my food. Like it is rare. Like if I'm like eating, you know, when you get dodgy bit of chicken, I'll like throw it for him. Yeah. That. So I'm like, but cats chance their arm at you. Like, yeah, I, I don't. don't I don't give me too. The only time I give me too human food is if I eat pizza. I'll pick one bit of topping off for him and again throw it to let him have it. But that's yeah. the only food I let him eat. But, but like, he'll still go he for it. He doesn't really beg that often. Like every now and then, like he's obsessed with yogurt and obsessed with muffins. I can't eat those around him because that's when he actually like will physically climb me to get them. All other food, he knows he just sits there politely. It's honestly the sweetest thing. And if he ever really, really wants it, this sounds made up. I shit you not. This is what he does. He'll sit there next to me and go. It's not what he did to me earlier. He just taps on my leg. It's so fucking cute. That's the plan. And um, great. Harry obviously has. Also, uh, by the way, sorry, just to call out one of my uh, classic spelling mistakes. All right, poly noose. Like a noose that Polly would wear. But like not even like I spelt it like juice but with an N, so it's poly noose. Poly noose. Poly noose. Harry obviously takes this plan badly, which everyone expects because he's like, you're all putting yourself in danger. Um and Ron says the great line, because it's the first time for all of us, which I'm glad this the characters have got so meta now that they predict what Harry's gonna say and sass him about yes. it. It's it's good, it's good times. It fucks me off <laughs> so much that they choose oh god what's his name because i've written f- fungus fundungus i was like i was thinking fundungus that doesn't sound right so this is half explain the reason why they do it but i agree i half of me can't remember why they do it and half of me is like it's still not a good enough reason it's it's one like this should be a volunteer thing it shouldn't be something that anyone could be forced into two for like such a critical thing you can't like rely on someone like that like literally because it goes fucking badly in the end well okay so i think what i'm forgetting and what i constantly forget about this is the reason why he's forced into it is because it's his idea but i'm pretty sure at the end of the book we find out snape planted the idea in his mind but even if it's his his idea why does that mean he has to partake in it like it doesn't make any sense that i don't really know because yeah like it's almost pretty obvious he's going to coward out like yeah i also like i'm really confused about what fungus's (laughs) contribution like and his membership 
with the order order <laughs> i'm so good at words i'm just i've got a cold brain it's supposed to be because i always thought that he was just kind of like that guy like a bit of a Del dodgy boy. informant yeah. kind of like we look like i'll get you this if you get you this. like so why is he then going by the way if you need to smuggle harry here's my idea like how involved is he and like he- i mean snape and imperious tend to do that well no but like why were they not like this is really out of character for fungus i mean no he he is a signed up member of the order because in book five he's he's at the table he's in the meetings so to be in the meetings you're under like the the yeah the the secret keeper thing and, and and everything like that so he is like a signed up paid up member yeah i still don't think he should have been forced into this and not to victim blame but no i agree like i think i i think Especially because he has the ability to disapparate, which some of the others taking part, I mean, no, they all know how. But yeah, it's almost obvious what he was going to do. I and think, there would have been other people in the order, like, get Charlie yeah. over. <laughs> like, I think not only is it like immoral if he hasn't volunteered, also if he hasn't volunteered and he's not keen on it, it's so obvious that he's going to bail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know whether they kind of viewed it as, oh, it's just classic Mundunga saying he doesn't want to do it. Because maybe originally he was like, I've got this great idea and I'll do it. And then he was like, oh, I don't want to. And they were like, shut up, you're fine. But yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Moody carries on explaining it and we get the great line, even you know who can't split himself into seven. Dun, dun, dun. I like to think, because it's mentioned that Harry and Hermione like exchange a glance, but I like to think that it's like the most obvious yeah, just thing like, to everyone else in the room. Like, <laughs> like they do like really over the top, like, ah, ah. It's like, oh, uh, what's the one that always really annoys me in books that it's lip biting. No one does that. No one's to or be like, or like a nervous like, to no be, one does that. To be fair, someone managed to snap a candid of me over the weekend when my Yorkshire puddings went wrong and I'm <laughs> genuinely going like this. That I get a bit more than like... Or like Neil said he caught my face earlier going through six emotions in the space of a second like it was resetting. And I was like... He was like, what were you thinking of? I was like, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Like I popped into the lounge, literally put something down and picked something up. And he said he saw me do this. And I was like, I don't remember doing that. He's like, it's like your face was resetting. Wow. I'm actually a robot. That explains so much. Yeah. So Harry gives the hair over and we get the great line because Harry Potter is adult now. We can make sex jokes that, oh, you look much tastier than Crabbe and Goyle before catching sight of Ron's raised eyebrows. Mm -hmm. The younger and yeah, the more junior members of the order are essentially the Harrys, which makes sense, but also like they're the ones being directly targeted to be captured. So like, no, like obviously the protectors have to be the more senior members of the order, but I don't know. It just feels a bit like it's mean to all of them. Yeah. Uh, Fleur calls Harry hideous, which is so fucking savage. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, she means in comparison to her does she she's just oh harry is such a minger i mean to be fair fred calls harry if something went wrong we were stuck as a specky scrawny git forever so i i don't think harry is like (laughs) to be fair imagine if we were doing this and we were transforming into one of our mates you would fucking roast them oh god yeah i love this bit where they're transforming just before that i just wanted to point out a kind of stupid plot hole in this polyjuice potion lasts an hour right Mm. and when 
when um Madai is explaining that like oh you know the people impersonating Harry are actually safer than the people doing the, the protecting because the protectors will be killed whereas the Death Eaters we run into will be aiming to capture Potter not kill him yeah. that doesn't help if they're captured because by the time they get somewhere but, the Polyjuice will have worn off and they'll be immediately murdered because they're not Harry yeah he was just trying to talk Harry down like literally i'm like that into it. like if you captured one of the fake ones and then halfway there he turned into ron you'd just be like oh okay so yeah Fleur's like um i'm disgusting i I like to think that she is also just like joining in on like the banter the taking the piss but she's so french it doesn't come across yeah it it, doesn't come across (laughs) like how when l says something just so completely deadpan that you're like yeah so maybe like (laughs) whenever she's being mean it's a joke and people just don't realize uh, yeah. i could see that mm. can we talk about how fucking weird it is that hermione and fleur have to experience having a penis for an hour oh i would love that but especially hermione because that's her friend's penis it's not just any penis i want you to imagine for a second like imagine a male friend i don't care which one no because i'm obviously gonna picture neil and i don't want to think about that okay so picture neil and then imagine for an hour having neil's penis on your body that's how hermione feels but like at least i don't you know what the worst thing would be what if you polyjuice and then realized you needed to piss before leaving they should have gone like because yeah, you wouldn't know how i wouldn't know how to have a piss with a no, penis but also i don't want to see it because at least like it's an hour they're on brooms they don't have to see it it's just like a wait there i do imagine maybe hermione and fleur before they left the borough were like we're gonna we can't we can't drink anything for hours we gotta yeah. <laughs> like that. maybe we've missed a whole scene where hermione and fleur are holed up in a room like oh my god yeah. what are we gonna do what and then like do? having like emergency weeds and like, like they, have they go and water have in eight hours yeah <laughs> hermione goes and like has a piss and then fleur goes and hermione's like just gonna, just go, gonna go once more, more once more just for an emergency case, they've like... actually done some super close bonding over this moment. yeah because oh my god literally and also you would feel so guilty as well as well, well yeah, as because, having to see it like... well because yeah harry makes a joke about how they're kind of stripping off with more impunity than they would around their own bodies but i don't think i'd be embarrassed like stripping my shot of if i polyjuice in front of into one of my male friends because like yeah. yeah whatever that's kind of cool i can just strip off my shirt but it would feel like a violation to have to go to the toilet yeah. and see the, the penis yeah i think it would like it would annoy me like not being able to like go have a wank like you would fuck i'm fighting voldemort i haven't got time for a while no, and also like because you wouldn't want to because it's your friend or something but like if you could do this where like you could yeah polyjuice into neil like i'm so curious yeah i'd be so curious but it's a violation when it's your friend so like exactly. yeah yeah but like if you could do that with a partner like i just want to know what it feels like yeah same you could have sex with each other but the other way around opposite that's the next Freaky Friday they should do. Also, are Hermione and Ron still attracted to each other? Both as Harry. Just, this could be a great sitcom episode. Uh, Ron also says, I knew Ginny was lying about that tattoo. Dude, you've, you share a dorm with him. And like, when, when would he have got when it? When would we, he have got it where you don't see him half naked every day? Like surely these boys are not getting changed in the bathroom no i've been on holiday with men they do just strip their tops off they don't really care like yeah what are you talking about yeah um hermione's like hurry your eyesight really is awful which as a person with very poor eyesight i find really vindicating because 
oftentimes when I do have like a camera, I'm like, look, this is how bad my eyesight is showing how out of focus it goes. So yeah. yeah. My question is, how did they get Harry's prescription? That's a great question. It's a very good question. I asked Madame Pomfrey for it. I don't know why she would have it. Right, here's the thing. Harry is never taken to the optician, but surely his eyesight is getting worse or he needs bigger glasses every year. I just refuse to believe that there's no like magical alternative to glasses. I don't have a response to that. I would hope there is, as someone with bad eyesight. Like, if we have contact lenses, there must be magical contact lenses. I actually think this is... One of those things that J.K. Rowling has responded to in a way that is not annoying, where she said if if she invented a magical way to fix eyesight, it would imply that like there's a magical way to fix other disabilities, which is a bad implication to have, which is is something I don't know if she said that or someone else did, but I I actually really appreciate that as a concept. I do think it's it is different but it is different yeah but you know there are magical contact lenses there might be magical contact lenses but people choose not to wear them we know lots of people that choose not to wear contact lenses yeah for sure but it's harry potter he plays quidditch he battles wizards and drops his glasses and then he's all like velba being like oh no, my, my glasses, my glasses. yeah he literally does it at the end of this chapter yeah i had a moment where i just really really wanted bill and fleur to kiss with fleur Polly juiced as Harry um, because they go and like give each other a hug and I was like yeah kiss, kiss. Also, it would be weird and I like it <laughs> Bill is definitely bi oh Bill so. is 100% bi but would that be a violation to be Polly juiced as someone and kiss your partner no I don't no. think so because it's just yeah. body yeah it's just appearance but I also I feel like Harry would be into it in fact I think <laughs> he'd watch would, it like this would stir things in harry like that he probably needs stirring yeah this would then make him start to rethink how he feels about felt about Sirius. like this would be what would you know yeah exactly kiss, kiss. so they all get ready um they've all got a stuffed owl in a cage. <laughs> um and like they're on it they go outside and they're on a mixture of thestrals and broomsticks and harry's on the motorbike and the theory is that they'll go after Hagrid last because they'll go down in the order of impressive order members. Okay. This annoys me. And I get it's it has to be this way because the symbolism of he arrives there and, it, and he moves there. and it. But in terms of the actual plan, bad idea. Because I feel like, yeah, there's the logic in, you know, go with the best protectors. But then there's also the logic in, ah, but they think we'll do this. So they'll put him with the worst, which would be Hagrid. And also there's the, it is actually Harry Potter and we do actually have to keep him safe. And Hagrid can't really perform magic. Exactly. The most sensible thing would be to go with Mr. Weasley th- down the middle. Yeah. Like not the most impressive order member, not the least impressive. Just go with a middle yeah. ground one. Because like, I, yeah, I definitely, yeah, not Voldemort, but like, you know, one of his cronies could definitely be like they're sentimental fools they'll do it with Hagrid because you know he seems like the lowest threat and you know they're so close and he brought Harry there in the first place and it's Sirius's bike and da, da, da. like come on you mm. like yeah you should have like yeah I think you should have gone with Mr Weasley or yeah I would have put like like Mr Weasley Tonks and Bill their names on a hat yeah one of those three randomize it yeah so yeah harry gets into the little sidecar and off we go ron is uncomfortable holding tonks's waist which 
it's very teenage as well so teenage kind of looks at like lupin also this led me to question have they specially bought two person brooms or can two grown adults fit on one broom i assumed that they were like on two different brooms Uh -uh, that's the film because why else would ron be holding tonks's waist yeah just from across the broom like. yeah because <laughs> i was thinking about this later on because i know it's hagrid but hagrid jumps on someone's broom and it goes down because of the weight and then i got into like a whole train of thought where i was thinking about like the weight limit of brooms, of brooms and yeah. yeah but you can fit tonks and ron polyjuicer's harry on a broom but is that Tonks's regular broom? Or have they had to buy special two-person brooms? A tandem broom. A tandem broom, if you will. So they kick off from the ground. They're all flying up. And then we get... Well, I, having not read this book in years, because I've kind of been waiting for this series, could see how this was such a big twist at the time because they're suddenly surrounded. And I think that I have made notes and can barely read them. Yeah, the switch to danger is really sudden and unexpected because we're not used to the stakes being this high so early in a book. Like, yeah. we're very used to the formula of Harry Potter where the first few chapters are always, like, a reintroduction to the magical world and we get, like, mm. a fun thing. We have a medium stakes thing in the middle and then a very high stakes thing at the end. We're suddenly in, like, mortal peril yeah. on page... What are we on, like... 50 and the writing mimics this we've got these like short staccato sentences we've got harry's like describing what is essentially a panic attack like we're like jesus this is actually happening this to me is what the doctor who anniversary episodes felt like they just like immediately shit gets kicked off and it's obviously because they had like what like an hour per episode and it wasn't like a full season or something but it really like you feel the difference when it's like boom drama starts immediately yeah, and it's rather than that, like, softer, longer introduction. And literally within three sentences of this panic starting, we've got Screams, a blaze of green light. So they're using the killing curse. And Hedwig gets hit. In Well, no, first Hedwig nearly falls off the motorbike and Harry manages to grab the cage and his rucksack. He loses his broomstick, so we've lost the firebolt, which is, you know, an important possession of Harry's. And then as he's spinning back around, Hedwig gets hit with a killing curse and that happens within five sentences. Yeah, I I think I was I was just like cleaning and stuff whilst listening to the audiobook and I, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. And then like a sentence before this happens, I was like realizing what was about to happen. And then I, sh- I had to pause the audiobook for about 10 minutes and just, yeah. I, I vividly remember reading this on a plane the first time. I hate, I hate it. It's horrifying. It's so, sad like it breaks my fucking heart it's his like childhood pet like it's horror and the way it's described lay motionless and pathetic on- as a toy on the floor of the cage it's so unexpected like even when the death eaters appear you kind of think they'll fight them someone might get hurt you don't expect it all to die yeah. like it's so horrifying it's so sudden i get why i completely understand why it's in here and from like a writing perspective I'm so for it. The one thing like, you can't really throw at J.K. Rowling is she is not afraid of killing off characters yeah. in like horrible, horrible ways. So this symbolizes like the end of his childhood, his one link to the magical world when he didn't have any. It symbolizes his loss of innocence and his loss of safety. But God damn, I don't care about the symbolism when you've just killed off a fucking owl. Yeah. 
It's like, the films do it so that Hedwig is like flying along I hate and it. then like blocks. I think that makes more sense. No. I I think that when we get to it later on, the whole Expelliarmus thing is kind of weak because whilst it might be a sign that it's Harry, they treat it like a hundred percent it's him, and I don't feel like that's enough to make the call that that is a real Harry. Mm. But I do think being like that's the one that Owl tried to protect. One, I think it like is really brutal and heartbreaking, mm. but it also makes more sense for them to be like, yes, that is Harry. I get it from that perspective. I'd never really, I've, I've actually not really watched film seven and eight that that much. I'd never really thought about it that it's actually Hedwig that gives Harry away. I think that's a really good point. What I don't like about it is, it's not that I don't like Hedwig is given a moment of bravery because, of course, given the choice, Hedwig would jump in front of a killing curse for Harry, but. I like the utter random cruelness of Hedwig just getting hit because it could have easily been Hagrid or Harry. I kind of, it's so unnecessary. It's so unfair that it shows you how brutal and realistic we are in war now. And it's not about heroes diving in front of curses. It's just someone could get hit in the crossfire. And I like that. Yeah, I do agree. I think it makes it more brutal, especially with just having like Hedwig's little body in the cage. Like there's something about that that's just... And Awful. then also what they don't do in the films because, you know, she's died heroically is Harry then blows her body up. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's definitely more brutal that way. So I prefer the book death, but I think it being used as giving Harry away makes more sense. Yeah. I'd never, I, do you know what? I've never noticed that in film seven. No. I will look out for that when we yeah. get to it, which it has been requested that we'll watch it halfway through the book. So yeah, I we think will. That makes sense. I think that makes well, sense. We should not do it halfway when, when, when it, we get to the yeah when it's it's the beach scene we'll do it at the beach scene so yeah the Death Eaters are chasing Harry is obviously trying to fight back while trying to deal with being in shock this is very serious there's killing curses flying past Harry's head so like we're not you know we're not in the even though Voldemort is given instructions though for Harry to be captured these killing curses could easily hit him it says they like ruffle his hair so clearly would yeah it's not i don't know anyway mr weasley has put some i'm not sure how helpful they are things on this bike such as a solid brick wall that appears out of thin air where do the bricks go after it (laughs) they just fall to the ground and kill like 10 muggles like sorry where do the bricks go maybe they just like fade away Maybe, I hope so. And then we've got real dragon fire. I think that this does have really interesting implications <laughs> for the idea of being able to like specifically link a spell like a charm or like a transfiguration mm. to a button, like a yeah. physical object, I think is very interesting. I think Mr. Easy is probably like in an extremely unique position to be able to do that. And actually he's got a skill set which isn't being utilized in which he's fusing muggle tech and wizarding yeah uh magic together yeah but it's definitely very interesting like i've been working on a magic system right now and i like have broken down like how you do it is Mm. important and you can do it like you know just like it's like a magical power you can do like a more traditional spell a potion obviously or like a charm which is more when it's like linked to something like an object like a gemstone or a flower or like any Mm. you know you combine things to do different things and having that like to me be 
not that it's so much a spell but more that it's kind of like a weaker like you know if it's something for say healing it's not that it's going to magically make you 100% better but that it kind of slowly sure. speeds up your healing yeah but the idea of it actually literally being like spell on a button yeah that's cool and it's that's, cool and yeah. i genuinely think mr weasley might be one of the only people that can do this yeah and like i saw a tiktok the other day talking about like how jk rowling managed to con the world into thinking that she's good at world building and don't get me wrong there's elements that are really cool like but then there's things like this where I'm like, this could be so cool if you had expanded on that. Yeah, yeah. But you just didn't expand on it. And it could have been such a cool thing. But no. And like the implication that this could have for like squibs as well mm. is like fascinating. Well, yeah, because it's been put on Hagrid's motorbike because Hagrid can't really perform magic with a wand. Like that's the reason it's been given to him. Yeah. Like it's so interesting. But yeah, it's one of these things that like, I don't know. I feel like JK Rowling was very good at having like these like kind of not very detailed, but like very cool ideas but then just no like deep diving into it. Yeah. And it's it's weird as well because like, I mean, it was probably just like marketing bullshit, but growing up, you always heard about JK Rowling has notebooks and notebooks and notebooks mm. full of all this stuff. And then you had a website and then you had Pottermore and all of this. And it's like, but it seemed like all of the expansion she did was on, this was Bertie Bot who lived in this year and did this a bit. Yeah, and, and even with all that expansion, she still got the years wrong. Yeah. Harry's parents and ended up only being 20, which clearly wasn't her intention. Yeah. And, you know, this, they used to vanish their poop and stuff like that. And it's like all the like yeah. boring stuff. And don't get me wrong, I think that one stuff like that can just happen and it can come to your mind and two i think even the stuff that doesn't make it into books is important in terms of world building but it's weird to me that she focused on like the kind of really boring and irrelevant world building and never sat down and was like how does the magic work yeah and even if she wasn't going to put that in the book because i think one of the arguments that's often thrown around is like oh if you look at the world building that xx does jk rowling's is so poor in comparison i'm like it wasn't even YA to begin with. It was children's. You can't put that level of letting people know about the world building in because they won't get past the first chapter. Like, not to like say that children's reading abilities aren't good, but they've got to be able to just jump yeah. straight in. And we then hold it in this lofty comparison to other fantasy books because by book seven, we're in a much more adult book. But that wasn't the point originally but that doesn't mean that you can't do that world be work before in case you need to occasionally draw on things to pull that work out like yeah. that should still be done even if you're not choosing to put it in the book because of the audience it's aimed at exactly because even like literally all the work that you do behind the scenes doesn't have to make it into the thing like no. all of me working out like the magic systems and stuff i'm like the majority 90 percent of this is never going to make it into anything i write yeah. but it's important to have it worked out because then it can stop you doing massive inconsistencies with magic like jk rowling does all the time she seems to change her mind on how wands work and how like non-verbal magic works and things like that and if she'd actually like mapped it out mm. Uh, and also i just i just and maybe it's just like different people but i'm just such a nerd for all this shit that i can't imagine not not choosing I to do it physically couldn't stop my brain if i like had an idea of like a magical world i physically couldn't stop my brain diving into this kind of detail oh god yeah like yeah 100 percent. it's everything like 
it's just liking the research element of it. Like I read a lot of historical novels and sometimes I'm like, why? This is historically inaccurate. Why wouldn't you look that up? Why wouldn't you bother to spend the time? Why does the research not interest you? Why would you not go and work that out? Like, yeah. yeah. So they're being chased, they're being chased, they're being chased. And the dragon fire makes the sidecar melt <laughs> off of the motorbike, which is a hilarious thing where Mr. Weasley is so intelligent, but didn't think that dragon fire would melt metal. Which is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, Jet fuel steel, steel beams. Sorry. Sorry. Nine Sorry. Joke for Sorry. You. Hagrid tries to repair it and the sidecar completely detaches from the bike. And this is where, like, I'm not sure the physics of this entire thing work because Harry kind of carries on forwards rather than just spinning over and plummeting straight to the ground, but fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's this then, in desperation, Harry pointed his wand at the sidecar and shouted, Wingardium Leviosa. Which I think this is put in here to make us recognize how naive Harry is because he's so unprepared for emergency situations. Harry's the one that's naturally good in emergency situations and he's relying on a spell that he learned age 11 and it does save him. But I don't know, it makes him seem wholly unprepared. But then he's saved by Hagrid, pulled back up to the bike and he sees the falling sidecar with Hedwig dead in the cage in there and fires a spell to blow it up. And then I think this almost shows the reverse. It shows his character growth because this is extremely quick thinking to think the, to blow the sidecar up and also takes a very ma- maturity that Harry hasn't always had. Takes a very maturity. Shush. Takes a very maturity that Harry has <laughs> hasn't always had to blow up his dead pet in order to stop a death eater. I could not blow up todd if it saved your life no todd's already dead todd would want if you to todd's him dead up. i'm dead okay i feel you but that's what i'm saying that i think this really shows harry's character growth from his childhood and from <laughs> are you saying i'm a child yes okay. because this is later on in the book harry has later on in the next chapter harry has to defend his use of Feliamus, which i've written so many notes about i had to put them on a special little post-it note but and Lupin says, like, the time for that is over, la, la, la. But I think we can see... <laughs> I love that you phrase that like he called him, la, la, la. The time <laughs> for that, that is, is over, over, la, la, la. <laughs> but I think we do see Harry growing in maturity and understanding how serious war is in blowing up Hedwig's corpse. Yeah. The whole Wingardium Leviosa on an object that you're in is quite interesting. Again, in the implications that it has on... How does magic work? Because yeah. you I both like it yourself? and I don't like it in that I really like when there's, I don't know if science is the right word, one, because science isn't real, no. but but I like when there's like a kind of like a scientific logic to magical systems. Mm. Like one of the best written magical systems, I think is Name of the Wind. Sorry, take a shock. Charlie's reference Name of the Wind. So say you have two pennies. What are pennies made out of? Copper? Cop- Let's say copper. Let's pe- say copper. copper pennies. We're so good at knowing things. Yeah, so say you have two pennies made out of copper. You can basically, how the magic works is that you tell yourself that they are the same because they're both made of copper. These two pennies are the same. Therefore, if you lift one because they're the same, the other one will lift. And it's like a way of magic where you tell yourself that and you make yourself believe that so that it happens. But what I like about it is when you lift that one penny and the other one lifts, 
you will feel the weight of the other one as well. Mm -hmm. So it will be like twice the weight. And I really like that for it sounding kind of scientific and there's a logic to it. It Mm -hmm. feels like science. And I like when magic systems are like that as opposed to magic. So I kind of feel like it should apply like a vaguely similar thing to Wingardium Leviosa in that I feel like when you go Wingardium Leviosa and you lift something, it should have something to do with the fact that there's gravity pushing on you and you're like solid in a space and then you know something yeah like i've not fleshed this sort out but well, that no, but you're you're right in the sense that we do know that the weight of the object does make a difference with your magical abilities because professor flitwick says we're starting off easy with a feather so the science of gravity is having yeah. an impact on this spell. so I kind of like the notion that mm. if you were, you know, falling through the air that you couldn't do Wingardium Leviosa because you don't have gravity pushing you against something, if that sure, makes sense. Yeah. I've not, you know, it's not, I'm not writing the books. So I've not expanded that thought. But then actually I do quite like that. It kind of works, but like for a few moments. That's the thing. He can't keep it up. It's yeah. like, oh, he can't keep it up. up. But yeah, I like that. Because as much as I like when magic, I'm just contradicting myself, but everyone loves a contradiction. As much as I love when magic is scientific, Mm. I also love it when magic is weird and wild and you can't understand it. Mm. I I love both. It can be either or. They can be mixed. It's all good. So I like the idea of magic kind of being tricked where it's like, oh, he's done with Guardium Leviosa. Wait a second. Wait a second, he's in it too. (laughs) Like, there's no gravity here to like, well, not no gravity, but you know what I mean. I feel like we're going to get comments like, Charlie doesn't understand how gravity works. Why else would he be full? I know. But yeah, so I kind of like the idea that yes, it's this like science based on there needs to be gravity pushing and he's on the ground and that's how, you know, he's using the force of him being pushed against the The ground to like lift things. Yes, using, this is Star Wars now. But then I also like the idea that, yes, that is true. But then magic takes a moment to go, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> I've been tricked. I've been tricked. <laughs> yeah, like sorry, that. that was my... Uh... So they carry on flying and the Death Eaters come and we learn the Death Eaters are wearing hoods, which... Yeah, I get they're doing it to protect their identity, but hoods feel stupid in a broom chase because you are limiting your field of vision. And also, like, seven times in the next two chapters, it's like, I knew who this person was because their hood fell off. I'm like, is there not a magically better way of keeping your hood on? Surely there's some... Blur face? Yeah. Yeah. Like, could you get a spell which does that thing where you, like, blur a face on the TV because their identity can't be revealed? Yeah. Or, like, when the Sims are having sex and it, like... Yeah, I just feel like there's a better way than hoods which keep getting blown off yeah. in the wind. Or like, could they not do like face paint? Genuinely, like something must be better than this. Or use a spell to make yourself look like a muggle. Do that thing that Hermione does to Ron when they break yeah. into Gringotts. Where like Ron isn't using polyjuice potion, but his facial figures are transformed so you don't know who it is. I don't know. Hoods are stupid. But a hood falls off. <laughs> facial figures facial figures a hood falls off and harry sees the strangely blank face of first i'm going to pull out the language use here stanley shunpike stan firstly using his full name as he would another death eater and then shortening it to stan is great because it's humanizing him as someone harry knows secondly this is genuinely from rereading these books one of my favorite bits in harry potter like in terms 
Huh? Or what? tissue, please. No. In terms of professional, you can finish your point. I'll, okay. I'll wait. Oh no, it's it's two post-it notes long. Really close. Like you did to my camel toe in my dream. Yeah. I had a dream. You can leave this in. It's fine. I had a dream. Oh God, I'm so snotty. Someone's gonna have a snot fetish watching this. I have a dream. I had a dream that I was proof watching the podcast and. There was a bit when I like shifted and the trousers I was wearing, I had like the massive, most detailed camel toe you've ever seen in your life. And Hannah had like, not only like include, she'd like zoomed in on it. And I was like watching this just like, I cannot believe like. I find that mean that you dream that because you'll have actually seen if you watch the videos of this, that every time one of us shits, shifts and I think, <laughs> one of us shits on camera we do it a lot <laughs> every time one of us shifts and i feel it's even slightly inappropriate or something i don't want i know you wouldn't want to like and i know i put a box over our entire lower half i mean yeah i know you wouldn't actually do this it was a dream i dream really weird things but i remember being like actually upset in the dream because it felt like just a mean thing to do but yeah, no, I know you wouldn't do this. I think it's because I tried on a pair of trousers the other day and I had the, and they were like, like light gray trousers oh, as well. No. Had the most horrific camel toe, which is really annoying because it's like they fit in every other way. Aside, toe, I clearly just have the fattest pussy. There's an episode title, right? That no, don't do it. I beg of you. Yeah, no. So sadly, guys, I'm in a skirt. So no camel toe for you, but uh. Yeah, if you DM me. <laughs> no. $30 Patreon. No. Well, 30 quid in my DMs. 50. The Stan Shunpike thing from rereading this book is one of my favourite things that's carried over throughout the books. And from one of, Camel Toe. From Camel Toe to Stan <laughs> Shunpike. Um, and one of my favourite subtle things because I never really noticed it as a kid. So Stan has was used in, I, I believe, book six. It might have even big, been book five to show Harry's goodness and his attitude to war overall. He doesn't believe in scapegoats and propaganda because while individuals are being hurt, Harry's not like fully against war propaganda. It's not like he's like, no, it can't be used. But the propaganda that was being peddled was at the expense of Stan Shunpike who was being scapegoated so the ministry could say they'd caught Death Eaters when it was very, very obvious to Harry that Stan wasn't a Death Eater. So he refuses the ministry based on this one individual who he's only ever had one interaction with because Harry cares about people on an individual level. And that was showing Harry's like goodness and separation from people like Dumbledore who kind of take a more for the greater good approach mm. sometimes. Now this seemingly small moment in book six comes full circle because the ministry's lack of care towards Stan, throwing him in jail so that they could look like they're bolstering their numbers, has bitten them in the arse because they've now basically added someone to the Death Eater ranks. But Stan is being like tortured into doing this. Harry believes he's being imperious into doing this. But they've added another body to the Death Eater ranks and he's being further abused because of the ministry's mistreatment. And now this has come back to bite Harry because Harry is being so quote unquote good. He can't face stunning Stan because it will essentially kill him if he's stunned off the broom. So he uses the expelliarmus which then reveals his identity and this then calls into question something that is kind of a through thread in book seven which is 
how correct is Harry in this like goodness thing and how much of it is naivety and him not wanting to face up to the realities of war yeah and that is a lot to pack into Stan Shunbike who is like a very very minor character Mm. I like to think that this is a moment of unreliable narration from Harry I don't think that Stan Shunpike's under any kind of spell really you think he got turned in prison yeah like that and I think that when the government treats you that way Mm. I think that you know you absolutely could see oh absolutely how someone would become disenfranchised and could be indoctrinated especially Mm. if they're around other death eaters in prison yeah like you absolutely could see that stan might see it as like revenge or like oh well if i'm being punished for this anyway or you know the status quo is and and i think that it would have been a lot more interesting Mm. and brave and i think that maybe it's a plot point that's more relevant nowadays with the internet the way it is and Mm. the way that so many especially young men are being indoctrinated into you know everything from the lighter end of like misogyny and like the incel movements i say lighter end obviously those things can be like horrifically serious but then fully down to like joining isis and things like that Mm. so maybe it is a plot point that if it was written now would be more written in but i i think that harry he's so trusting and he really sees the best in everyone and I think that he would want to tell himself, no, 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 he's Stan like, wouldn't do he's that. under a spell. But it's like, mate, you had like one convo with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that would be a really, really good plot point because it would still be the ministry's failing. The ministry in trying to, you know, bolster its popularity by sending an innocent, no, and actually at that time, innocent man to jail would have caused them to not cause them because his indoctrination would still be a bad thing because like a a, you know a let's to use black and white terms a good person wouldn't become indoctrinated but he wouldn't have had access to that indoctrination if the ministry hadn't persecuted him falsely so like that would have been a really good plot point actually and i also think it makes more sense because no offense just Stan, but why would the Death Eaters want him that badly to like Imperio him like Stan you know yeah yeah i guess i guess maybe the implication is he's easy to keep under the imperious curse so he's just like an easy extra figure an extra number but like that's quite a high risk to have an extra figure doing this chase you know yeah yeah Mm. i prefer the idea that he's doing it either way i love the way that that very small plot point is carried through the books and what it raises into question of harry's either way around harry's naivety um, mm. because I think these do chapters do call into question like you know Harry Potter is good and he is, but is he so morally good it's actually causing the death and harm of more people yeah so they the Death Eaters fall back saying it's him it's the real one and Harry's like Hagrid I don't know what's going on just get out of here let's just go they're terrified they're flying away And then Harry's scar bursts into pain. He looks to the side and Voldemort is flying beside him like smoke on the wind. And plot twist, Voldemort can fly without a broom, which I've always been very unsure about how I feel about it because I feel like it's pretty firmly established in the wizarding world that you need aid to fly. And two at the last minute go like, lol, Voldemort can fly. I'm just like, what? Why? Why? 
Well, because it's Superman evil now. Like, what are you talking about? I like to think that technically, no one's ever said that a broom has to be a certain size. Maybe he does have one, but it's like it's like a toothpick broom, and it's like you, don't. you know between his legs. I like to think. It's an invisible broom just so he can look cool. Well, that's why I'm saying mini broom. <laughs> because he's like, and it's below his skirts, but he's like, I just want to look like I'm just like flying by myself. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past. Voldemort's all about the aesthetic. I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. So Voldemort is now flying beside them, shooting curses. He's trying to kill Harry outright. There's like... <laughs> Hagrid launches himself off the bike at a Death Eater, just bodies a Death Eater. Just yeets himself. Yeets himself. And then this calls into question how the fuck Harry lands next to Hagrid at the end of this chapter because, like, this happens. Then Harry is still falling on the motorbike for what we consume is another, like, 60 seconds. You'd travel quite far in that time. I mean, if they were only falling down. I still imagine they're not falling. I've always imagined they were going like that, but yeah, maybe they're just going wee straight downwards like yeah bridget jones (laughs) which bit of bridget what when she's on the oh the parachute bit yeah Yeah. where she lands with the pigs (laughs) harry's kind of blacking out from the pain in his scar which isn't useful when you're trying to fight voldemort and also on a motorbike that's heading directly for the ground but his wand he feels his wand be dragged around and a spurt of golden fire shoot from it and it cracks voldemort's wand i genuinely can't remember how does this get resolved like what was this like this is a major plot point you'll find out i'm not gonna tell you oh no just tell me ha harry's wand recognizing voldemort but i don't you're like it's a major plot point it is a major plot point this is fun how do you know how do you know it's major plot point if you don't remember it because harry's wand gets smashed at christmas and he's upset because it saved him i don't remember and it harry, being resolved and harry ends up asking olivander about it at shell cottage so we won't find out for like half but a like year. yeah but i know we asked olivander about it yeah but then i thought that olivander's like don't know mate that's weird no i swear olivander gives an answer we shall see doesn't Ollivander say something about like, oh, you know... The Shall ones... I Google it? No, we'll find out. It's we won't remember this conversation. I will. No, you won't. Yes, I will. Anyway, Voldemort's still chasing Harry and then suddenly they all disappear when they basically enter like the protective bubble. And somehow, somehow, Harry doesn't die from the impact of this motorbike falling for the last minute. Yeah. There is no mention of Harry using any sort of spell to slow this motorbike down, but the motorbike crashes into the ground and Harry doesn't die. Yeah. So what JK forgot to include is that Harry is actually in like a giant bouncy ball. Right. Like a zorbing like ball. ball. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And he so he bounces. Bounce. Which actually almost kills him because for a brief moment he bounces again out oh, of the protective like- but and then he g- goes back in so then Voldemort's kind of like awkwardly hovering like is he gonna bounce, bounce all the way back but he's, it's a bit less than that next time and that's the end of that chapter I really need the loo you prepare the Wait, second you, drink you forgot about the Accio Hagrid he tries the Accio Hagrid <laughs> Does that he's like 
well, we got him Leviosa kind of work. Do you know what? You've got to try. You've got to try. Again, I really like the idea of there being like science to it and weights mattering in that. Surely you can only Accio something you could pick up. Like, I like to think if I went Accio plant, I would feel the weight of that plant. Mm, I agree with that. I don't think Harry could lift Hagrid. Harry can lift anyone. No. Fred no. Him... Yeah, Ginny definitely has to top, like, let's face it. I'm going to the Yulu. You prepare the next Go Harry. piss, gal. Chapter five, The Fallen hey. Warrior. We've now mixed the thing with the wine. It's I've forgotten what this is called now. I like that. It's kind of just like a, a white wine spritzer. Yeah, I prefer it to the beer. I don't think I have a preference. I'll let you know. The Fallen Warrior. So Harry is somehow alive in a ditch. Yep. And Hagrid is somehow only about a metre or two from him. Neither of which makes sense, but I'm just going to let it go. Someone's searching for Harry. He hears a man's voice. He's trying to get to Hagrid and then clearly faints because the next thing yep. he remembers, he's on a sofa. Something hot and wet was trickling down his chin and forehead. We've all been there, Harry. It's blood. It's blood. Blood. Dirty. We've all been now remind me charlie ted tonks yes andromeda was thrown out of the black family for marrying a muggle right mm. so ted tonks is a muggle mm. so why is ted tonks saying anything else broken i fixed your ribs <laughs> have you it, what in the gray's anatomy <laughs> like i'm gonna google to make sure because but i am 99 percent sure that ted tonks is a, mu- a muggle yeah. Or is he a muggle born? Why would I Google Ted Tonks? Is it the guy from Pretty Little Liars? Is that the fan cast for Ted Tonks? Jesus Christ. No, or is he just muggle born? He's muggle born. I re- okay, no. I Head cannon. Head cannon. He's a muggle and he went full Grey's Anatomy. He did some like living room surgery to like fix Harry's. I don't, that's not even how you fix ribs, don't they? They just have to heal like They have time. to heal on their own. Yeah, you can't really fix a rib. Well, he did. <laughs> He's that good. <laughs> he went full McDreamy. New tooth. He regrew a tooth. <laughs> okay, I was so confused this whole chapter. He's a muggle-born normal. Fine, yeah. fine, fine. I was, speaking of Ted's, I wanted to Google something the other day and I was scared of the answer. Like, you know, Ted Talks. Yeah. Was it started by a guy called Ted? Or have I been lied to my entire life? I thought it was that bad guy called Ted. I, I've always assumed, but the other day I was like, I'm going to Google it now when I have the emotional support here to... Let me see what it says. It says Richard. Who's Ted then? It stands for something, doesn't it? It's TED. What does TED stand for? I don't emotionally know how to handle this news. What does TED? Talk. Education. Dominate. Dominate? <laughs> I just made those up. Oh. It still stands for something. I feel so lied to. Ted. Ted. I thought it was one guy called Ted that really liked talking. Sad. Oh. Tragic. Yeah. Anyway, well, Todd is working on his competition against Ted Talks called Todd Talks. Todd Talks. Which is just him giving different seminars on various alt-right topics. Todd's being weirdly quiet. Todd. His pub's asleep. So, yeah, we, we're introduced to Ted Tonks, which is... Tonks's father, duh. And Tonks is calling her Dora, which just reminds me of Dory from Finding Nemo. Yeah. Um, and Harry's kind of confused and concussed and 
Harry's and Harry's like there were Death Eaters. Where's Hagrid? La 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 la. And Harry's kind of starting to understand what's happening. But all he keeps saying is like, "Gotta get to Hagrid." And and Ted's like, "He's alive. It's fine." And Harry's like, oh, "Hagrid, Hagrid." And then he finally like gets up on the sofa. He's like, "He needed to see Hagrid with his own eyes." And at the same time, Hagrid has pushed through a door to get to Harry, going like, "Harry." And I'm like. <laughs> We love each other so much. What does Hagrid not knock over? Because I audio. It's a plan. This. It's two delicate tables and as as aspidistra. Is that a plant? That's a plant. Uh, it's a very mediocre plant. Well, fine that he knocks it over then. Yep. So yeah, Hagrid walks in knocking over some shit, but Harry is too preoccupied with his friend being alive because Tonks's mother looks exactly like Bellatrix and Harry decides to be the rudest house guest and start attacking her. I prefer the headcanon that Todd's mother is an absolute milf and she walks in and Harry's like, yowza! <laughs> wow! And Tonks is like, that's my his, wife. His eyes do the cartoon, like, thing. <laughs> well, Ted is like, that's my wife. Mm-hmm. Ted's actually a my wife guy. My wife. My wife. My wife. That's not a dated reference. I am ashamed to say that probably my funnest week on the internet was when Ned Fulmer came out on his wife. Yeah. Because it was so... I I feel sorry for his wife, obviously, but it was just such harmless, good internet blow up that I was like, this is so good. This is so good. Yeah. I I think my biggest regret is not ever having like watched or engaged with Try Guys before that because I feel like it would have been so much more entertaining it was it was so much more entertaining believe me I wasn't even a big Try Guys fan I just watched some of the videos and was literally like oh my god yeah (laughs) apparently the wife's still with him how could you like the thing is, like, I haven't I, looked up if they stayed together. That's sad. I don't ag- it was employee. It was one of his employees. Yeah. I know, because, like, I don't agree with, like, staying with cheating. Any- Obviously, it's everyone's business, but I don't agree with that anyway. But let alone, like, how could you do that when the entire oh, yeah, internet, internet is going to be like, well, she's a mug? Like, at that point, you got to just and be it like... it wasn't just random cheating. It was yeah. someone who he employed and he was the HR within that company. That's an abuse of power as well. Yeah, I saw a TikTok the other day, someone showing a photo lineup of the Try Guys, their mum and going, knowing nothing about any of these men, just this photo, which one do you think cheated on <laughs> his wife? And she immediately was like, that, that one. one. They're like, yeah. No one should be a my wife guy. Anyway, so the Tonkses are obviously freaking about their daughter and Harry can't tell them anything because obviously he doesn't know. And this is another great example of this war not just being about Harry and other people having huge stake in this. And yeah, I think this book reminds us over and over again that other people care about this war, but Harry doesn't seem to realise till right at the end of the book when... everyone else agrees to carry on fighting when they think he's dead so they're like okay sorry for not being able to tell you anything we've got to go because that porky's gonna leave so we yeah we only get like a couple of seconds in their house i did like they didn't have spreadsheets or google maps and they worked out the exact timings it would take to get to the different places to set a porky with like enough safety time but also not so much that it's ridiculous yeah and they did that and set all these porkies and sent them to the places with the right timing blah 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 without a spreadsheet nor with a google map i like to think one unlucky order member had to do all seven journeys to test the time yes 
Bill's just like flying around like, okay. No, that would have been Mundungus. Come on. That's a Mundungus job. Get on a broom and do it, Mundungus. Hagrid asks where Hedwig is and Harry feels ashamed for crying. What the fuck? Why are you ashamed? It's literally your pet. Shut the fuck up. Yep. I know that it's not that he's ashamed because he's a boy and he's crying. It's meant to be he's ashamed because the Tonkses are literally worried their daughter is dead and he's panicking about his owl, but you shouldn't be ashamed. Like, it's your owl. Yeah. So they managed to catch the porky. They land at the Weasleys. Mrs. Weasley and Ginny come running out. Now, as a kid, I always hated the optics that Mrs. Ginny, Mrs. Weasley and Ginny were the ones left at home. I now understand that Ginny is 16, so it would be completely irresponsible to let her do this. And Mrs. Weasley is not a fighter or a flyer or anything like that. Her kind of role within the order is organization and the other skills she has. But like, I don't know. The optics of it just don't sit great with the two Mm. women being left at home, but whatever. So they come out and they realize that although the others are meant to be, some of the others are meant to be back before them, they're the first back, which means things have gone very, very wrong, which is obviously kind of obvious. Isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there a line, something about like, oh, blah, 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 should have been back first. And then they say something about the place being close to the borough. Which doesn't make any sense. Okay, okay. So this pissed me off so much and then I spent a long time thinking about it. So it's written badly. What that... Okay, so the porkies are all timed not to do with how far away they are. They're just timed so they arrive two minutes after each other, five minutes after each other. Fine. What Ginny means by that line, which is said two pages later, no, like three or four pages later, is that it's clear that they just missed the porky. Absolutely fine that they missed the porky. But then Ginny... What Ginny means is... Even if they miss that porky, because Auntie Muriel lives quite close, yeah. they should be back by now. But that still doesn't make sense because why would they be flying directly from Auntie Muriel's to the burrow even if they miss the porky? Why wouldn't they just apparate from outside Auntie Muriel's to outside the burrow? Yeah. And also, it m- makes no sense to me that it's just like they're two minutes apart because surely it should just be like, okay, well this house is in Surrey, which is really near where Harry lives. So you're going to be there like really quite quickly. So like you'll be the first back and we'll, if it takes half an hour, we'll set the port key for maybe like 45 minutes mm. after you're supposed to leave. So you've got like 15 minutes worth of leeway. And then there's another one that's like in Kent. So it might be a bit like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It shouldn't just be like one, two, three. Like it should just be when they're there. So then... This line about, oh, they live closer. It, surely it should be they were the one closest to Harry's and they should have been there first. Like, I get what you're saying and I, I think that is correct, but it just makes no sense in terms of the plan. But even if I'm correct, I can't see a reason because later on in the in this same chapter, Kingsley walks out the gate and disapparates just in front of yeah. the gate. So what's stopping them walking out of Auntie Muriel's house, walking around the corner and disapparating from there to outside the borough? Especially, Why are they flying back from Auntie Muriel's? Especially because then surely it's like a bit of a giveaway about what house they're going to if then the Death Eaters could track them. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Anyway. No, at first I thought that point was about the porkies as well. I read that like, what do you mean? The porkies don't take different amounts of time based on how far away they are. There's this kind of quite sweet moment where Harry still doesn't really understand how much he means to Mrs. Weasley and how he's viewed kind of on the same level as her children, where 
Harry's explaining what happened that Voldemort cut up with them and he's saying I could, he could hear the self-justifying note in his voice. The plea tried to understand why he did not know what happened to her sons and he expects Miss Sweezy to be angry and Mrs. Sweezy's first reaction is oh well thank goodness you're okay like she's still really worried and I'm like my heart my heart this bit also kind of bothered me though in that like poor like I can't fathom what Mrs. Weasley is feeling right now but she has to take the time to do that like emotional like coddling of harry because he's too much of a dumbass to be like this isn't my fault this isn't about me like in that situation he should be like regulating his emotions and being there for her not the other way around i think he's trying his best to but yeah he feels it's not coming across enough yeah i don't think he's trying at all yeah yeah and also yeah he's really really relying on Ginny for emotional support in this scene which pisses me off slightly because every time he does it Ginny has just learned the news that a family member still isn't back or is grievously injured mm. and i'm like you should be emotionally supporting her i know you saw voldemort i know you're panicking but her stakes are higher in bill still being missing yeah. in in fred losing an ear in george losing an ear like Mm -hmm. you should be emotionally supporting her that's the bit that kind of got to me so they're kind of waiting around there's a lot of like waiting back and forth the next people to arrive is george and lupin they make the portkey on time but there is something very very wrong with george he's dragged inside the house and his ear has been cursed off which is, the stakes are really high early on in this book like we've lost a whole appendage <laughs> mm. at least it's only an ear i want a hole in my head though no I watched a TV show with cannibals recently and it's like, it's um basically the concept is like a, this is really like a tangent. It's a like football team of like teenage girls, like, uh you know, like high school and they're for some reason going to a competition and they're all on a plane and the plane crashes and they get stuck in the wilderness and then slowly over the time they have to turn to cannibalism. Great watch. And, um, but the first bit of anyone that anyone eats is an ear there's no meat in an ear and like it's just cartilage yeah cartilage isn't tasty i know it's like of all the bits she like kind of like breaks off the ear and i'm like of all the bits i suppose it snaps off easy it doesn't really it's quite a wide surface area to be attached to an ear yeah like i just mm, i the thing is you know i get i get if i was that starving i could be like okay yeah i would eat someone like if you're that hungry i'm sure i would mm. i don't think i'd eat an ear i don't think i'd eat an ear like oh question would you eat the ear first <laughs> which part of a body which... would you stop because the thing is like i like chicken breast but that doesn't mean i want to eat breast i was gonna say i'd start with a butt cheek but to me like i don't know poop comes not out of the cheek but you know out your cheek <laughs> no you, mean I you think... don't just like sweat poop <laughs> i think it's not that traumatizing to have to cut off but it's probably all right roasted that's another thing about cannibals that i watched there was a film and this was ages ago sorry the guy he like keeps her alive but chops off her butt cheek but then it's really dumb it's a really dumb film because then like the next scene he's like you will have dinner with me and she's like sat down for dinner it's like you just cut off her butt cheeks you watch, watch really normal things anyway so these are like the only two pieces of media i have ever watched about cannibals okay this is not a hobby i watched something about cannibalism in a-level psychology 
Good for you. So before Harry can really process George's uh, injury, Lupin drags him into the kitchen to ask him what creature sat in the corner the first time that Harry Potter visited my office at Hogwarts. And Jesus Christ, this was five years ago. I'm not sure I can remember this. Oh God, no. I don't know. Yeah. Great, now I've been murdered. Yeah. Like Lupin, pick an easier or more recent question. Like, I feel like Lupin thinks that's an important moment to him, but maybe it wasn't an important moment to Harry. Yeah. And also Harry's dumb. Ask him an easier question. Yeah. I guess like Defense Against the Dark Arts is his like area. But still. Yeah. And then we get the first instance of a big theme of this chapter, which is Harry believing that not a single member of the order would betray the information to Voldemort. And this keeps coming up and it's obviously linked back to his father trusting Pettigrew. And Lupin is very, very suspicious of Harry having this attitude because of what happened with James. And I think this would really feed into your thing, which was that you wish Harry had been betrayed at some point, because it comes up over and over again to the point where it almost feels like set up. I'm like, God, Harry's really hammering home this point. At no point is he betrayed. So this point is kind of lost. I way too buy into the theory that Hagrid was going to betray Harry and it was a drop plot. Well, it's even pulled out in this. Harry, when he's thinking about whether someone could betray them, looks at Hagrid and remembers the time he accidentally gave from and thinks how much he loves Hagrid and that was an accident. I really, really think there was a drop plot. Yeah, but to be dropped this late? I don't know. I don't... It's mentioned so many times in this chapter. Yeah. It's like a reoccurring thing through all the books. You know, I don't think that maybe it was like an intentional betrayal, but... It would have been interesting to see Hagrid accidentally doing something and then Harry having to wrestle with that being different than what Peter did to his dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hagrid accidentally doing something again, making the same mistake he did before and whether like if you make that mistake more than once, learning from your mistakes. Yep, and like there could have been an opportunity for some really heartbreaking like a moment of ambiguity when you don't know if it was a mistake or intentional. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you reading this chapter and how many times it's brought up that I wish it was a thing because it's just hammered home a lot in this chapter to not come to fruition. Yeah. We then get quite an interesting discussion on Lupin telling Harry off for using Expelliarmus. But Lupin says, at least stun if you aren't prepared to kill, which makes us realise that Lupin and Kingsley and the others might have been firing a Vada Kedavra tonight. Which, like, I didn't really think think about because i kind of thought the order would be trying to capture because that's information i don't know i'd never really thought about order members just doing some murder doing some murder yeah yeah i know what you mean because it feels like it should be like the good guys what's what's that tiktok audio when it was like it's like he was the best of guys but what about the what was that oh let me let me try and find it i kind of know what you're talking about and Harry then says, I went blind. Best guy around. What about the Well, that's the thing. Later in this chapter, Kingsley says, stunned two, killed one. I'm like, you become minister of magic. You just admitted to some, <laughs> like, I know you're murdering bad people, but you've literally just stood there and told me you murdered someone. What murder? What? Kingsley's a murderer. Lupin might be a murderer too. But Harry refuses to blast people out the way just because they're there. That's Voldemort's job. And this is 
Dumbledore's whole fucking point that Harry isn't the chosen one because Voldemort chose him. Harry's the chosen one because he won't blast people out of the way and he's special and good. We learned that the last words Albus Dumbledore said to Lupin and Kingsley conveniently was Harry is the best hope we have trust him which I imagine Lupin and Kingsley's response being Are you fucking serious that's the that's the best hope we I imagine Kingsley just being like no no yep. I'm not doing this <laughs> there's a um there's a plot in how I met your mother where uh father dies and the character has this really horrid moment of remembering the last words and it was something like really really shit and then he finds a, a voicemail from him, like at the funeral that he didn't realize he had. And it's like this most like heartwarming, like loving voicemail. And he has this like moment with his friends, like crying to be like, oh, thank God. Like those weren't the last words. Mm. And then the father thinks he's hung up, ha has like put it in his pocket and not hung up. And then like the character's like crying and stuff whilst like the voicemail's still going, but it's just his pocket. And then the guy like, the dad picks back up and is like, oh, forgot to hang up. And then says something really shit, like <laughs> really awful. And then hangs up. And I like to think that Dumbledore did the same where he said this really moving thing and then probably said something like... I think you should go to the toilet. Because yeah. he's like, watch my... <laughs> yeah, like, I think you guys should go. I can, I've, I've, I can tell I've got the runs coming. <laughs> and then like both of them have agreed, like, okay, the that that the thing he before about harry yeah that's his last words we're gonna say that to each other um yeah i'm oh dear i just feel like if you told these two that you maybe should have told them about the horcruxes yeah, yeah. i guess maybe that was his way of trying to be like yo trust harry when he goes off on his yeah. when he runs mission. away he's because kingsley is like the scene as the second best aura after mad eye Voldemort switched to following Kingsley and without it ever being actually like addressed in the text this is Hermione's first time coming face to face with Voldemort. have Harry and Ron with her how fucking terrifying yeah. for her has Ron come face to face yet I don't believe Ron comes face to face until the end of book seven must be weird like beefing with someone you've not, not actually, actually seen. seen yeah I'm trying to think through all the books. And because they don't even have, like, Instagram. So they can't go and, like, see Voldemort's thirst traps to, like, be, like, get a reference. No, they've no idea what he looks like. The noseless little like they, man. Like, they could walk past Voldemort in TK Maxx and they wouldn't know. Yeah, I know. That's wild. I know. But, yeah, it's not even... No one calls Hermione brave for facing Voldemort for the first time. No one says, oh, my God, well done. No no one she's just carrying around this trauma and no one cares i hope she talks to it about someone but probably not yeah um they're all kind of talking over each other like stan Shumpike lost an ear and people keep arriving and so they go back in they're all staring at george and then mr weasley and fred arrive and we get one of the best mr weasley moments of mr weasley screaming at kingsley i'll prove who i am after i've seen my son now back off if you know what's good for you and i love it because we never get to see mr weasley angry yeah. and we never get to see high emotion from him because he's calm and collected yeah. and i adore it i also feel like after that you no longer need to prove it yeah like, literally okay yeah yeah i think i think that's you, you've proved that's your son fair enough yeah cultural reference i can't make because doctor who <laughs> sorry but then we get fred seeing george for the first time and my god did this hurt because fred goes silent 
and is gaping like he couldn't believe what he was seeing. And I think this comprehension from Fred is the understanding that he could have lost his twin tonight, which is something he has never, ever considered. Stop. And what hurt me to my core is he is the one to have this comprehension, not George. And George is the one that has to live through it. Because George wakes up and starts making jokes immediately. He never seems to have this moment of I could have died, I could have lost Fred. It's Fred that lives through it. But Fred isn't the one to have to live through it afterwards. I hate it. Thanks, JK. I hate, I, hate, I hate this so much. Why did you have to hurt me this way? Yeah. George does make a great joke, though, that he feels saint-like. Yeah. Mid. He's just woken up. He's okay, so then they all go back outside and they keep waiting and they're all discussing things. But I've literally skipped a page. Um, so then I was going to say, then Bill arrives. I'm like, nope. Then Tonks and Ron arrive. Tonks runs straight into Remus's arms and Ron runs straight into Hermione's arms and they hear it. Hear a little, hear a little heart because they go, I thought, I thought, I'm all right. I'm okay. <laughs> and then Hermione ruins it in a way I don't think she meant to. I genuinely don't think she meant this in a Hermione judgmental way. Tonks is complimenting Ron saying he slams one of the Death Eaters straight to the head. That's really hard when you're moving going for a moving target and Hermione with her arms around Ron gazing at his face lovingly said you did and Ron goes Ugh, always the tone of surprise and pulls away from her see it's so funny to me that this seems like if there was another moment in this book that they were gonna smooch it's this moment I want to read the alternate Deathly Hallows where they smooch in this moment and then Harry just has to deal with them going at, at it in, in that the tent. tent just yeah yeah but i think hermione meant you did that's amazing i'm so proud of you but because of years of ron viewing himself as lesser to hermione saw it as always the tone of surprise yeah. and what i'm excited to find out is is the always the tone of surprise thing repeated in the book or was that a film edition because it's one of my favorite things about yeah. film seven i love the always the tone of surprise repetition yeah i think it's just a film thing yeah then bonking in the tent would have been hilarious so funny they again recount what happened. Like there's a lot of like repetition in this as more and more people appear. And then Bill and Fleur arrive and reveal that Mad Eye has died, which is quite a good death to have at this stage because like a huge emotional impact because we never really knew the real Mad Eye. But again, it raises the stakes to fuck. Like I, I wasn't expecting that. Are you serious? Mad Eye's dead? Yeah, because he's like the most competent one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, it, it also... It feels harsh because it's like one was like a person and one was an owl. But like, yeah, like after Hedwig, it's like, it's only Mad Eye, it's fine. Yeah. But he did put himself in the most danger and he was, you know. Yeah. And and he also, I think, you know, to your point that Mundungus never should have been forced to do it. I think that's Mad Eye starting to lose his touch slightly and, you know maybe not realizing how high the stakes had got and believing in people too much and the death not saying not to victim blame mad eye for his own death but like yeah he made a mistake in believing mundungus could do this yeah i am yeah to be fair i think at least and part of why this death doesn't really get me is i think that mad eye i don't even think that he would be like happy or proud with this death i just think it like would be such a non-issue for him mm. Like, I think he'd just be like, well, yeah, of course, like, if I'm going to die, it's going to be fighting Voldemort. And yeah. it wouldn't even be like, it yeah. would just be like, yeah, like, 
cool that's that's the thing mad i was never gonna want to die peacefully in his bed at an old age so but i also don't see it as like some glory thing of die in battle i literally just see it as like i see it as mad i being very pragmatic and just being like well yeah logically like it's it's probably gonna gonna happen yeah like, like yeah yeah um, then because they're British, they've all got to have an alcoholic beverage. Um, Beveragino. Beveragino, because that's what you do. You either have a tea or when someone dies. Sorry, speaking of Beveragino, I don't even know. Is that, a, is that a Gavin and Stacey reference or do I just associate it for some reason? I've always thought it's a Gavin and Stacey. Yeah, yeah. Smithy arrives and goes, Beveragino? Okay. I, the book series I'm reading right now, a character that is in it, it's called Gavilar. No, and it's like no they're not it's like high fantasy and this is like a dead king i don't yeah but it's gavlar and i'm listening to the audiobook and every single time it's gavlar i'm like no No! literally like i just haven't been able to take it seriously because i'm like no stop 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 please stop saying that name and it's always because it's a dead king it's always reference and in a way where it's like the son was so sad that his dead dad Gavilar. <laughs> Gavilar. It is a tragedy of our times that James Corden turned out the way he did. I know. Oh it my- is a tragedy of modern Britain. <laughs> I I think that James Corden any media with him should come with a trigger warning. <laughs> he's, he's in two episodes of Doctor Who. I'd forgotten that. And then I've been trying to watch Matt Smith's seasons and I got to that episode and was like, no, no, not you again. No. And they kind of, okay, to be fair, where I've seen up to, he's in two. But they really set him up to be like a reoccurring, like, you know, when it's like not full companion, but oh, like. God. And I'm like, I really hope he's not in more. I hope that he then got so famous that it's like. Yeah, he couldn't be in it. It's like, no, there's no way that. No. You were so good. Everyone loved you. Look what you did. Take James Corden. Let us keep Harry Styles. You can take James Corden, America. Yeah, you can have him. You twisted him into something awful. You keep him. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so they're all drinking to Mad Eye. And then Harry goes on a speech about how Mad Eye never would have betrayed them because Fleur's like, someone betrayed us. It was one of you. It was one. It was fucking one of yours. <laughs> <laughs> She's feeling yeah. like, and yeah, Harry's like, no, no, no one would do that. I trust all of you. I don't think anyone in this room would ever sell me to Voldemort and we can't think like that. It's like, okay, but they found out the plan. The thing is, it's like they found out somehow, didn't they, Harry? Like, it's all well and good, but they found out somehow. Yes, but, you know, technically no one did. Technically no one did. And yeah, they do have to stick together. Otherwise we'll crumble from within. And that was what the sorting had yeah, like, that time. Yeah. And I get it because it's like, if Harry truly believes that if it happened, it was an accident. I guess it's potentially not the most productive thing to like Start blame people. Is. Yeah, yeah. And then Bill and Lupin have to go and recover the body, which like, how are you predicting where it fell? Mm. What if it fell on the roof of a house, smashed it? Do you know the story that fucking still disturbs me? Is, do you remember when a body dropped from the underside of a plane over Clapham and smashed into someone's garden two years ago? Yeah, apparently this happens quite a bit. Yeah, it just rarely ever, because Britain is a lot of farms, it rarely ever smashes through someone's garden. Yeah. It was in COVID, they were just sitting outside in their garden. Imagine if it went down your chimney, because the world's worse Santa Claus. But yeah, what if it, what if it, it's sorry, what if it 
fell onto someone's house. How are you working out where it is? Yeah. This is horrible. What if it's in Muggle police custody right now? But also, they're recovering the body, but what condition would it be in? How well, far has it fallen? Harry then decides to be a fucking knobhead. And it's like, I'm going to go with them. And everyone's like, we all just risked our lives to get you. Someone literally died yeah. to get you And one here. of them's like, why do you think we did this? And yeah. it's like, yeah, Harry, what, what? He's so self-centered, it's come back around to being yeah. an absolute piece of shit. And he's like, I know. And in his head, he's like, I know. Don't they think I know that's why I want to run away? It's like, yeah, you want to. But like, that's the rudest thing you can do right now. Shut it's the fuck up. Also, just, okay. And this is, you know, someone that's insane and part of my, like, we need, what's the word for our daydreams to get to sleep? Um, I think <laughs> maladaptive daydreams. Mala. A very common one that I do is me like having to like get away in certain situations, like right, zombie yeah. apocalypse, or sure. I'm being hunted, or like the Hunger Games, like you know that's sort of, and so I spend probably an abnormal amount of time like thinking about this. But Harry's just like, well, off a pop, it's like tent, change your clothes. I might need to sort it all out. Money, food, like Harry but- was not go. We will get onto it in the next few chapters, but. Harry deserves to die of hypothermia in a hole in the ground in yeah. this book. Like, he could have been reading survival books all the summer. Like, he could have been doing anything, like learning to cook, anything. I, I, I just stand Harry It's in this like book. the equivalent of when you're like a like child and you're like, I'm going to run, run away, away from, from home. home. And you pack like your sports bag from school with two teddies and like a cereal bar in it. Yeah. Like, Harry didn't even get that far. <laughs> Harry didn't even get the cereal bar. <laughs> he blew up his teddy. Yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. Like, Harry... Okay, so you're going to walk out and you, you've you got your wand and... No jacket, because it's summer. What did he... Like, it, it's, it's actually kind of annoying in terms of bad writing. The fact that we don't get to see Harry even having a thought. Like, there is no way... That you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm, I've got to go, and like not even think. Where I mean, at am this I point, he go? doesn't want to run away fully. He just wants to go help recover the body. But no, but I think still. he fully has a train of thought that he needs to like leave completely because he's putting them in danger. Do you know the worst thing? He doesn't even comprehend the sentence which Mrs. Weasley said, and which is, and Fleurs agreed to get married here, married here rather than in France. Yeah. We've arranged everything so we can all stay together. Yeah. She has a rearranged her wedding. I know you don't view this as important, Harry, but this is important to Fleur. Fuck me. You are a selfish yeah. little shit. And you deserve everyone yelling at you right now. And then Harry's like, I didn't do the magic. The one did it for me. And he's already feeling like badgered. And then everyone is like, no, you did the magic. You're powerful. And I can understand at this point why he walks out because everyone's pissing him off because he didn't yeah. do the magic. And everyone's being like, you did. You're amazing. So he walks outside and the scar is burning and he's kind of thinking about Dumbledore. Dumbledore would have known what to do. I found Harry very relatable at this moment that I'm like, Harry, at the end of the day, is a fellow migraine girly. He truly is a migraine sufferer in this book. So he sees a vision of Voldemort torturing Ollivander, which is how we learn that the prisoner he's keeping, or at least one of the prisoners he's keeping, is Ollivander. 
and Voldemort is saying you promised me another wand would work and Ollivander's going I thought it would I thought it would and Harry kind of snaps out of it as Ron and Hermione appear either side of him which is like a constant theme in this book and dear god do these two put up with a lot and Hermione starts panicking because Harry's having these visions again and obviously like he's meant to have learned to block them out and I really can't tell if the visions coming back in this book is meant to be some sort of like plot thing of like the connection between the horcruxes or just so we can move the plot forward and Harry can learn information easily I suspect the latter um, and then, but we finished the chapter with Hermione going Harry he's taking over the ministry in the newspapers and half the wizarding world don't let him inside your head too it's the end of the book the book that was quick five chapters in done the and they all lived happily ever after yay question time so this question oh, good you have comes from firefly who says i had a spontaneous thought about why snape hates harry so much and why he can't let go of all his hatred of james and the marauders mm -hmm. suppose snape has been using his angry thoughts about james at all as his mental shield against foldy or any others legitimacy <laughs> so he's had to live with those bad thoughts basically his whole life instead of letting them go like most normal people would mm. with therapy if necessary well, okay i understand so basically the legilimency isn't fully explained in the book like how it's done but mm. it's theorizing that the way legilimency is done is snape is using his teenage angry thoughts about james as his mental shield against voldemort so every time voldemort looks in his brain he sees like how much snape hated people in school and that's covering up you know the fact that he's actually is trying to protect harry and therefore snape is snape can't get over it i don't necessarily think that's exactly how he's doing legitimacy however i do think snape's character in general is someone who's like extremely stuck in the past because his entire life is repenting for the mistakes he made in school so whereas yes most of us would like get over what happened he can't because his entire adult life is built around, you know, entering the Death Eaters, partly because he was like bullied by people and, you know, that thing we were talking about earlier, falling into right wing groups and then trying to repent for that by protecting the son of the person he ended up inadvertently killing. So, yeah, he can't get over any of that because his entire adult life is trapped in the past. Yeah. And I also think that there's a huge amount of trauma in that a lot of. I mean, we see it with Sirius as well. They kind of can't get past a certain point because they never really got to have yeah. that like childhood and teenage years yeah. because of the war going on. So in a way, I feel like it's also kind of that he's kind of stuck there because he never really got to just be like a teenager. Yeah. But I do like the theory that that's part of the legitimacy tactics. Yeah. Because I don't Especially because if you have to like offer up like a reason to yeah. Voldemort, like, so when he takes a peek, then yeah, that's probably what he's using. And I don't think we give Snape kind of enough credit for how often he's using legitimacy in the later books. Like it's constant. He's constantly having his mind peered into. So those barriers have to be permanent, essentially. Yeah. Gotta fuck you up. But Snape is fucked up. <laughs> he is. And on that note. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. If you want to follow us around the internet, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok under Goblet of Wine Podcast. Or if you'd like to support us further, you can find us on Patreon, where you can get access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and loads more perks. Thank you so much to our Hufflepuff tier patrons for helping us produce these episodes. Yolanda, Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, Michael, 
Kylie, Jasmine, Florian and Ardent. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and as always, fuck JK Rowling and the Turfs. Bye! Bye.